0: Hey guys, welcome to Rihanna's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest who's a bat conservationist. She's an active member of the Girl Scout, and she's also a National Geographic Explorer. I'm so glad to welcome and introduce Kristen Leah. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to begin our discussion. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to talk to you, especially because of the fact that I've never met or even rather talked to a bird conservationist, so this is all too new to me. And um, so let's just get started with it. So, awesome. Firstly, I wanted to know what exactly is it that motivated you to get into this field?
1: It's a great question. I um, I've always been really drawn to animals. Uh, growing up, I, you know, I had lots of pets. I volunteered at the Humane Society at the animal shelter, and I've always just really been drawn to animals and nature and you know being outside. And I've always especially had a very special place in my heart for misunderstood animals, things like rats, snakes, spiders, um, and bats. You know, bats, I think, are one of the most misunderstood groups of animals in the world. And so, yeah, I was just drawn to them. And we, in Girl Scouts, we would take night hikes sometimes during summer camps, and you could see the bats, you know, flying around over you. And I was always curious about what they were doing. And, you know, they're eating insects, um, you know, helping control insect populations. And so I just, I always just thought they were really neat. Um, And so that's kind of how I Got interested in the first place in bat conservation. And then I um, got my unofficial start in bat conservation when I was 12 in sixth grade, when I built bat houses for my Girl Scout Silver Award. So that was my kind of entry into the field, and it's been a lifelong passion ever since.
0: Oh, wow. That's definitely awesome. And yeah, sure it is an interesting field that you're exploring bats and. Uh, do you also look into snakes and rats as well?
1: I don't. I'm, I'm purely focused on bats, which is, it's kind of crazy that you can actually have a whole career in, in you know, just focusing on bats. Um, but funny enough, I actually did have pet rats growing up. So, um, you know, they're, they're great animals and, and really fun pets. So.
0: Oh, okay. So um, since you had an interest in this since you were really young, so what did your education journey look like? Was it a traditional path?
1: Yeah, it kind of was a traditional path. I, I always really really enjoyed school. Um, I, yeah, I loved being in school. I loved doing projects. So I, I knew that I wanted to go to college as I was you know, graduating from high school. Um, and I knew that I wanted to work with animals for my career. But at that point, I didn't exactly know that you could have a career in bat conservation. Um, and so I thought that I wanted to be a vet. Um, when I went to college, I, especially, I wanted to focus on wildlife, uh, vet medicine. Um, and so I started a program at Ohio Wesleyan university, um, in the zoology department. And that was, um, you know, the study, study of animals and got really involved in some research there. And my second summer, so the summer after my sophomore year, I got to go down to Texas and help a PhD student with her bat research. So that was my first exposure to, you know, the world of bat science and bat careers. And that's when I fell in love um, with that as a career and and knew from then on that I wanted to focus on bats. So I I ditched the vet idea and I started learning as much as I could about bats and bat conservation. Um, I got my degree in zoology, my Bachelor of Arts, and then got... um, a couple years off before i went to grad school but got my phd last year in integrative conservation so i was studying pollinating bats in northeast mexico for my my phd research
0: oh that's great so um, now that you're finally a bat conservationist what's your role and what do you focus on
1: yeah great question so as a bat conservationist you know there's lots of different ways that you can be involved in bat conservation we have Uh, People who are doing research, you know, actual scientific research with bats on many different aspects of, you know, bat biology, bat behavior, bat conservation. Uh, But the focus that my job and my passion lies in is working with people to do on the ground conservation work. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really studying the bats anymore. I'm actually working with people to help protect them. Um, and it's all, that's all needed in bat conservation to really move conservation forward. Um, but my, I, I work at Bat Conservation International now. Um, I work as an Endangered Species Interventions Specialist. And uh, it's a long, long title, but I lead Bat Conservation International's Agave Restoration Initiative. So we're working to restore agave plants uh, for nectar feeding bats across the US, Southwest, and Mexico. So I get to lead that initiative, um, work with a huge diversity of people and organizations to, you know, to restore these really important food plants for these nectar bats. Um, so I get to, you know, do a lot of coordination, a lot of, um, you know, communicating with people, but I also get to do a lot of outreach um, education. It's one of my passions. So it's one of the perks of the job.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's so fascinating. It sounds absolutely amazing. And um, so now there's this uh, conception that um, it started the huge pandemic that we're still going through. It started with uh, bats. So what are your views about that?
1: We so that's a good question. We don't yet know where it came from, where COVID uh, nineteen, the SARS CoV two virus came from. Um, you know, there's a lot of research going into the origins of the virus and where it did start, um, but we we don't really know yet. We may never know hundred percent for sure. Um, but I think the key is even if it is you know from the wild, from wildlife um, that jumped over into humans, you know, zoonotic disease. The the really key thing is it's it's not the animal's fault, whether it's a bat or a pangolin or whatever it could be. It's not the animal's fault. They're living out there in their environments. You know, they're very important. Bats are extremely important for, like I said, insect pest control and pollination. Um, So many benefits we derive from bats and they're out there doing their thing. And the problem happens when we, people, start coming into closer and closer and closer contact with these wild animals. Um, You know, we can have birds and we can have bats in in our yards, you know, flying around above us. And that's not a problem. The problem comes when we start really, you know, handling animals that we shouldn't be um, or not taking proper uh, precautions, you know, proper health and safety precautions when we do. And so I just really want to hammer home, you know, it's it's not. The wildlife's fault um, and we really need to think about how we interact with wildlife and nature as we move forward so that this doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah, definitely. That was beautifully said and um, as you said that every animal including bats are so important for our ecosystem. They, have, um, they each have everything or anything to provide to the environment so it's not that we should blame the bats alone for um, this entire pandemic and it's, it's just transmitted like from us humans it's being transmitted so that's mm-hmm. beautifully said and um what are some more interesting facts about bats
1: oh I, I love this question because there's so many cool bat facts um so some of the the insect eating bats um can eat a lot of insects in a night um and they can eat up to half their body weight, sometimes more in insects every night during the summer. Um, That's a lot of insects. And if you think about what they're eating, these insect eating bats are consuming things like moths and beetles, including pests. So including uh, insects that destroy our agricultural crops. So these bats, um, it's estimated that they save just the U.S. agricultural industry about an average of $23 billion a year on insect pest control services. Like, so farmers don't have to spray as many pesticides, they save money um, because these bats are eating the pests. So, that's a really awesome fact. Um, the mo- majority of bats in the world uh, eat insects, but there are other bats, like um, the ones that I work with, that eat nectar um, and pollen from flowers. So they're really important pollinators. Um, If you like chocolate or mangoes or bananas or tequila, um, you know, all those things are, those plants are pollinated by bats. So again, very important. Um, I think some, two of my favorite bat facts, I think also are fun facts. And one is that um, bat moms, Are basically super moms. They can, when they give birth to their one pup per year, they, the baby can be up to half the mom, sorry, a third of the mom's body weight when it's born. So that would be like a human having, giving birth to a toddler, which is pretty crazy. Um, And then the other cool fact about one of the bat species that we have here in the US, the Mexican free-tailed bat, they are the fastest animal flyer in the entire world in straight horizontal flight. They can fly up to hundred miles per hour um, in straight flight and they're about this big. So they're really small bats that can fly really fast. So those are some just basic fun bat facts and there's so many more cool ones.
0: Yeah, these were so interesting. I never even knew about them before, but it sounds so cool. And um, I would definitely like to look into it more and get to know more about bats, because I never knew these many things about them. That's uh, awesome.
1: Yeah, I think also, too, like people, when you hear the word bat, you kind of think of little brown, you know, flying animal Um, but there's a huge diversity of bats in the world. There's over 1400 different species or types of bats in the world, and they all behave different. They look different, they're different colors. They live in different environments. So it's not like, you know, one thing, um, they're all very different. And I think one of the common misconceptions about bats is that they're rodents, you know, rats with wings or flying, flying mice. They're not, they, they are mammals. They have fur, just like we do. Um, have hair, but they um, actually are more closely related evolutionarily to people than to rodents, uh, which is kind of bizarre. But um, yeah, they're they're not just little rodents flying around in the sky.
0: Oh wow, that's great, and that's yeah. also new to me. So um, I would definitely want to look into it more. And yeah, I'll get yeah. back to you once I get more of my about my facts, and um, I'll mm-hmm. definitely love to discuss them with you in a future time. Absolutely,
1: I could talk about bats all day. They're so cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly love your passion for bats. It's really awesome to yeah. see. So yeah, thank um, you. <laughs> moving on. So, um, what exactly is it that you're focusing on right now? Are there any big projects?
1: Yeah. So, so like I mentioned, I lead uh, Bat Conservation International's Agave Restoration Initiative. So. It's, with the pandemic, it's been a little hard with fieldwork, you know, going out and, and traveling, um, but I have been down to West Texas um, a couple times in the past few months because we're starting um, our agave restoration work in West Texas now, which is super exciting that we're expanding there. Um, and so we're, we're doing that, and I, I'm helping lead a really, really cool project or research project um, using eDNA or environmental DNA uh, to detect these nectar bats and find out where they're migrating. Um, So basically what we're doing is we're going out, we're we're swabbing or collecting agave flowers when they're in bloom. And if, if a bat has been to the flower and eaten the nectar, you can pick up its DNA that is left behind by, you know, in the saliva or the snot or whatever as it's feeding. And so we're using that really cool um, technology to try to find out where these bats are migrating through so that we can protect that migratory corridor. Um, So that's a really kind of cool new approach. eDNA has like really blossomed as a research approach for wildlife in the past few years. Um, So we're really excited to be working on that kind of cutting edge research. so, yeah, that and hopefully next year, you know, hopefully I can get down to Mexico, meet with our partners more um, and do some more agave plantings um, and actually, you know, do do some of the work um, in person. Fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. So while pursuing this career, what are what's the most rewarding aspect and uh, what's the most enjoyable thing about your field?
1: Oh, I love. Yeah, I love thinking about that because it's really um you know, conservation can be challenging because it's it's a lot of work to protect these species. Um, the, the main bat species that I'm working with is an endangered species. So it's you know, declining and we're trying to help recover it. So it is it can be kind of sad at, at times, but I think one of the most rewarding parts of the job is just how enthusiastic and how excited other people get when you talk with them about bats. Um, you know, I love doing outreach and education around bats. And I think it just really sparks something within people um, because you know everyone has a bat story or knows somebody who has a bat encounter, you know, oh, I saw a bat in my yard or, you know, everyone has that kind of experience, or almost everyone. And so it's just a really great way to connect to people um, and, and talk about conservation. So I think that's one of the most rewarding parts of the job. And just knowing that you're making a difference, even if it's a slow go, you know, you are making a difference.
0: Yeah, completely. I mean, I can relate to what you said right now when you were telling me the facts. I was so intrigued by it. And also, um, I want to also ask that bats, their frequency, I think I read it somewhere, that it's higher than what humans can hear. So Mm -hmm. what are your views about that?
1: Yeah, so most... Most bat species that echolocate or use sonar um, do have that the frequency too high for us to hear. There are some species that have a low enough frequency that we can actually hear it. Um, So sometimes you could hear bats flying around. Um, But yeah, we so that means we have to use specialized equipment to be able to monitor bats and detect them. So um, we use acoustic detectors, different kinds to be able to pick up their echolocation call and, and tell that there is a bat flying around even if we can't hear or see it in the in the dark sky
0: yeah definitely so it seems that technology has quickened our steps by um, a lot and is there any other equipment that you use while uh... yeah definitely
1: yeah that's the one thing with bats like the the field of bat biology and bat conservation really took off um you know in the 80s around there you know because Before that, you know, we didn't really have the technology to be able to really study bats very well. Um, You know, most bats are nocturnal. They're out at night. um, They live in dark places like caves or tree hollows or, you know, dark buildings. So it's really hard to study them without technology. So we have those acoustic detectors. We have specialized cameras um, that are infrared cameras that are, you know, like those night vision binoculars or things you see in TV, um, the, the green light. That's We have those to watch bats. Uh, we have thermal cameras that pick up the body heat of the bats and you can actually see them with their body heat. Um, so we have all of that. We have the new eDNA approaches to, to find bats. Um, we, we catch bats using these giant mist nets. They're basically like these really big nets that kind of look like hair nets um, that you, you know you put on your hair. And the bats are flying so fast, they can't see them in time um, and they get caught in them. And then we take them out and measure them and weigh them and then let them go. Um, and all bats are um, able to see. So they there are no blind bats, you know, like that saying, they're all perfectly able to see. Um, but yeah, so all that technology in the past you know, 30, well, God, now, I guess it's like 50 years, 40 years, um, has really opened up this the field of bat biology and conservation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like all this new technology that's there. Um, I'm sure before when people who must be interested in bad conservation, um, they must be so like proud uh, looking at the development that has happened now and all yes. the young people that are getting into this field and exploring through technology.
1: Yes, exactly. It's it's a really I, I love all the people that I work with are fantastic. And, um, you know, the, the field of bat biology is a pretty s- relatively small field. And so, you know, you kind of know, or at least know of everyone. And, um, it's a great community to be part of.
0: I also wanted to ask you that, uh, bats are usually related with evil, like even during Halloween, um, yes. there are images of bats all around the house or everywhere. So what are your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that whole like spooky, evil, scary bat image kind of derives from a couple of sources. One, you know, like the Dracula, um, you know, whole story definitely plays into people's minds about bats being associated with evil things uh, like vampires. And also just the fact that they're out at night you know like I said most bats are nocturnal so they're out during the night you can't see them they're not like birds that are just sitting outside your you know your window eating food um and so because they're out at night and associated with darkness you know I think people associate darkness with bad right with evil that I mean it's just for forever I think it's been like that and so um so yeah unfortunately they get that association and then in things like tv and movies um the media perpetuates that kind of association you know if you have a a horror movie and you know the characters are walking through a dark house at night you know all of a sudden what jumps out or flies out at them it's a swarm of bats you know it's just like a a tool to scare people when it really shouldn't be because bats are really neat and they're not trying to hurt people they're Literally in those images, those, those scenes, it's the people are scaring the bats or having a good time sleeping in their little roost or socializing and the person scares them and they fly away, right? right? But it's it's the other way around that it's portrayed that the bats are attacking the people. So yeah, it's it's all this together that just perpetuates that association.
0: Right, definitely. After all, we are entering their habitat, so. They're just, exactly. they're just flying away and the media just portrays it as something scary. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you also work with uh, Nat Geographic. So um, how are your experiences in that and uh, what is your most favorite moment?
1: Yeah, I, so I, um, like I said, I finished my PhD last year. Um, and as part of my PhD work, I had to um, basically find grants and funding to support my research in Mexico. And so I applied for um, one of the, the grants through National Geographic during my grad school um, years and, and got that grant. So um, National Geographic supported my research and I became a National Geographic explorer and I'm now part of the, the Nat Geo family, which is really it's been an awesome experience. And I think my favorite moment from that was um, attending the 2019 Explorers Festival in Washington, D.C. where it was hundreds of explorers from around the world, all were brought to D.C. We had talks, I got to give a, a lightning talk. So a 60 second talk about my bat research on the, the National Geographic stage with like hundreds of people watching. And I was terrified, but it went very well. Um, and just, yeah, getting to meet all the other explorers and learn about their work. It was just one of those um, really inspiring experiences that you, you will never forget. Uh, and I've maintained a lot of those contacts and collaborations over the past couple of years. So um, it's been a wonderful experience.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Meeting so many explorers in the same field as you, that must be awesome. So did you meet anyone there that you looked up to?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, so National Geographic obviously has a very big social media presence. You know, they're you know, all over TV, magazine, like it's they have a huge presence. And so, you know, growing up, you read articles in the magazine or you, on social media, you see these people who are working in, in science and conservation and education and storytelling, you see those people. And yeah, I got to actually meet some of those people who I admire so much. And some of these people are very well established in their fields and they're, they're further along in their careers, but some of them are like pretty early career um, people. And so that was really inspiring to see that you don't have to be at the end of your career to be, um, to make an impact and to, to be an inspiration to others. Um, and so that was really inspiring for me and, and um, helps keep me going.
0: Yeah, that's great. So now to all the people that want to join the same field as yours, what advice would you like to give to them? Definitely, um
1: so like I said, bat conservation entails a lot of different things. You can you can be a researcher if you want to actually do, you know, research and have a lab and work at a university. You can um, focus more on education and outreach. You can do, you know, conservation work. There's so many different avenues that you can take to get into bat conservation. So I would suggest, you know, finding what you're really excited about and what you're really good at, what you enjoy doing. And then, you know, With bat conservation, obviously it's very specific with bats, but conservation in general is a big field. Um, So yeah, just think about what what issue or what animal or group of animals you would like to contribute and help, uh, contribute towards and help. And then um, from there, you can start reaching out to people who are already involved in the field. Um, Having mentors, I think, is one of the the best ways to get into the field, Um, you know, start to start talking to people and looking if there's volunteer opportunities or, or internship or paid opportunities um, working in, in the field and um, start making those connections. It's never too early to start
0: yeah that's some really great advice well that's it for today thank you so much for coming on my podcast had a great time talking to you and getting to know your insights and all your experiences i definitely got to know more about the facts of um, bats and another fact it also rhymes (laughs) yeah there you go i like that (laughs) (laughs) and um to let all of you know this podcast is now available on youtube apple podcast spotify radio public and google podcast make sure you subscribe to all listening platforms and stay tuned from home Kristen, is there anything you'd like to say before we log off
1: just thank you very much for this opportunity i um like i said bats are misunderstood but very cool so thanks for the opportunity to chat yeah thank you so much for
0: coming on well bye bye